0: Thank you.
1: Well, amen. That's a good song, isn't it? I like it. Take your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 25 as we're in our practical principles for powerful living. And uh, we're going to touch on a subject tonight uh, that I've called avoiding humiliation. Avoiding humiliation. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 and 7. But we'll read from verse 1 right on through there and then we'll kind of pick up where we're at. Chapter 25, the book of Proverbs, the wisdom book. So there's a lot to learn here. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. The heaven for height, the earth for death, the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver and... There shall come forth a vessel for the finer. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. <clears throat> this particular scene that's being described in the book of Proverbs is also related in the book of Luke by Christ. He shares a similar story, if you will, or, uh, and, and, and gives us some insight into a few things. Look, if you will, Luke chapter 14. And So we see what it says in the book of Proverbs, and we see then that the Lord Jesus Christ himself during his earthly ministry addressed that same issue. And it is almost virtually identical. Notice what he says in Luke chapter 14 beginning in verse 7. It says, "...then he put forth a parable to those which were bidden. When he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place." And thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. That when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up hither. Go, excuse me, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meet with thee. I think that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Then shalt thou have what? Worship. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? I got to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ said to somebody there, you know, you go to this particular uh, uh, gathering and you take a lower seat and then you get brought forward and you're going to have worship in the presence of them that sit and meet with thee. I got to believe it's okay to honor people. And he's the one calling it what it is. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? We know that God alone deserves our worship in that regard, but Obviously, there's an element where people are elevated, and we'll note that here in just a moment in a final verse of this passage when it says, here he says, uh, but he says, um, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, he that humbleth himself shall be what? Exalted. Again, that's the emphasis. Now, again, in the passage, we see that basically this man here has come to uh, this particular gathering. I don't know what kind of feast it was necessarily, but in this case he's saying, Now, listen to me. He says, okay, you go to this, uh, uh, you've been bidden to go, you take the high place. You go where all the, you know, special people are. I want to sit with all the, you know, the important people. And I believe I deserve to be seated up here with the important people. And I know the owner, and I know the, the, the guy calling the meeting, and I know the person that's invited me here. Man, I mean, we're close. We're like that. And, and you go sit up at the top. You sit up there where the, the, the VIPs are, so to speak. And the Lord says, well, the problem is, he says, you're going to take a walk of shame. If for some reason he brings somebody else up and says, no, hold on, uh, excuse me, uh, he's going to sit here instead of you. So thank you. We appreciate you coming, but take your place back here. And that's that's humiliating. That's what he's talking about. But notice again why he's talking about it. The whole premise of the whole thing is for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. Obviously, the intention here of the person that took his place among the leaders or among the, the head of the table, so to speak, the, the purpose was because he felt himself to be worthy of that position, worthy of that place. And the Lord says, basically, you know what? He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You need to come from the back to the front, not from the front the front let somebody else exalt you let somebody else bring you from the rear to the front instead of you saying i deserve to be out front that's what he's basically saying so one conclusion that we could come to about this particular man is that maybe he was just downright ignorant maybe he didn't know any better maybe he didn't have a clue we had arrived We had arrived very early to the airport there in the Philippines, my dad and I. We'd been in the Philippines for about, oh, I don't know, 15 days or so. And um, <clears throat> we're headed back to the States. We're instructed uh, by uh, the, the pastor there to uh, tell them that we wanted to sit in, in, in an emergency exit, at an emergency exit, because there at the emergency exit, there's always a little more room, you know, you can... You know, there's no seats in front of you. There's the exit, so you can stretch your feet. You can stand up. You can kind of, you know, just a little bit more comfortable, obviously. And so we went into that particular uh, airport, him leading us. And, uh, you know, we thought, well, okay, we're going to ask for this spot. We're going to take that place if they have one available. And so as we entered the airport, there was a huge line. I mean, a, a long line of passengers. And again, you've got to understand, it doesn't matter how early or how late you go to the Philippines there in Manila, it's always crowded. Always crowded. It's amazing, the the traffic. There's over 20 million people in Manila. And so it's a constantly, it's just a busy place. So the lines were really long. I think it was 4.30 in the morning, you know, or something like that. And we didn't fly out until 6.30 or something, or maybe 7.30. I don't even remember now. But you had to get there so early because the traffic was so bad. But so we went in on in there and uh, uh, we, we, we knew we had to check in and so forth. And this guy, he grabs us and he takes us right to the front of the line. I mean, we bypass all these people. They're all lined up We right to the front of the line. We get there to the check-in, and boy, i tell you what, they get our bags and everything. They give us our boarding passes, and we tell them, hey, now listen, we want to get a, a seat by the exit door, and they, 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 they accommodated us. It was wonderful. Man, they took and changed our tickets and put us right there at the exit doors, and then off we went. So we skipped everything. It was amazing. We were being treated like VIPs. We were excited, you know, this is the best, you know, and so we boarded our flight, and we landed three and a half hours later in Japan. Now, from in, in Japan, you know, we have our next leg of the journey. And it's going to be the longest part of the journey. Matter of fact, when you're coming back from the Philippines, you usually land in Japan. And then you, you'll take a flight from Japan all the way to the States, which takes probably anywhere from 12 to 14 and a half hours. It depends. And that's, I mean, it's just a long flight. And so, you know, of course, we're not, we're you know, it's you're not looking forward to that flight, mind you. And uh, so we get there, and we're waiting in that uh, Japan airport, and, and all of a sudden, you know, we, uh, uh, they start to board the plane. And uh, we're looking at our tickets. And I mean we were, this is amazing. We can't believe it. They've upgraded us, just like there in the Philippines. They changed our tickets. They put us right at the, at, the, at the exit doors. We're looking at our tickets. We're like, are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. We're the first ones to board this plane. We get on that plane, we start looking for our ticket, uh, for, for our seats, and we've got our seat numbers, we're, we're checking out our seat numbers, and I mean to tell you, man, it is first class. We're like, yeah! Man, the Lord is good! This is amazing! So we sit there and we take our seats there in first class, and we're just, this is the best, man! I mean, and so we're sitting there, and they'd come along, you know, and would you like anything, sir? Would you like anything? And we're like, sure we would, you know. I mean, they go, and we just, they said, you know what, free alcohol, free anything you want in first class, And, and we said, well, we'll just take an orange juice, you know. That's fine with us. They come back in these wine glasses, you know, with orange juice. I'm like, yeah, this is sweet, man. I mean, a nice looking glass. I mean, this is awesome. It's glassy, but you know, it's like, wow. So we're really excited. We're enjoying this, and I mean, it's just going so well. We could not believe how the Lord had blessed us. We couldn't believe how they had upgraded us. And it was just the best ever. People are taking their seats. They're walking by us. We're just like, suck us. You know what I mean? It's just like, this is unbelievable. About 25 minutes into this ordeal, you know, because, I mean, that's a big plane. You know, it's huge. There's hundreds and hundreds of people. And they're all loading up, getting fired. And they're getting ready to close the doors up there. We can hear them saying, all right, is everybody on board ready to close the doors? We're like, yes. And this big guy and his friend, he just come over and he said, excuse me, I think you're in our seats. And I said, no, I don't think so. I said, I, I, I don't. I had my ticket right there. I was like, no, man, right there. He takes my ticket. He looks at it and he goes, man, I don't get it. This is crazy. I got the same ticket. This is the same. I'm in the same seat as you are. The stewardess comes over finally and she looks at it. Because, I mean, they're the last two on the plane. They're trying to close the door and fly out. So she walks over and says, "Excuse me, can I help you?" And I said, "Yeah, we, we don't understand our, you know, our tickets. You know, this is the seat we got." And she looked at his tickets and said, "Oh yeah, that's that's that is that's his seat." And she looks at our tickets. And he goes, "Oh, excuse me, sir, these aren't your these aren't your seats. Those are your tickets for the next leg of the trip." <laughs> we were looking at the ones that went from. From uh, Detroit to Akron, not the uh, Detroit to Cleveland, not the ticket that went from Japan to Detroit. And so we thought, well, we got a free drinks out of it. We stood stood up and took that long walk of shame. All the, I mean, it was like it lasted forever. I mean, it's like, excuse me, could you move your feet over? We're trying to get through here, okay? We've got all our stuff. It's like, oh, man, there's no place to put your luggage now. Everybody's filled up everything. All the way to the back. Yeah, that was not fun. That was the walk of shame. You know, this man in our passage... I suppose he could have been ignorant. He walks up, sees a seat, and goes, oh, I'll take that one. That's not, that's not what happened. Though. No, not, not according to the word of God, because we know for a fact that in the passage it says, for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So we know that the Lord was trying to teach us a lesson here about humility. So it wasn't ignorance in his case. It wasn't ours, I promise you that. So tonight, just in a few minutes, I I want to talk to you and share three things that I believe this man was. And again, I just want to help us to avoid humiliation. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll just talk about it very quickly. Father, we love you. We need you. Help us, we pray. And Lord, give us guidance and leadership in these next few minutes, literally, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. So in chapter 14, verse 11, once again, we noted that the Lord made it very clear why he had written that particular passage, and it addressed pride. And so I'm convinced that the point of the Lord's example, again, was to warn you and I against pride and its downfall. <clears throat> in other passages, he also warns of the danger of pride. He says in Proverbs 11:2, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. In Proverbs 18, 16, 18, he says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. During the battle of the, uh, of the wilderness in the Civil War, there was a Union general by the name of John Sedgwick. He was inspecting his troops. At one point, he came to a parapet over which he gazed down in the direction of the enemy. He just kind of stood there and looked out over the enemy. His officers said, sir, sir, we believe that's unwise. Perhaps you ought to, you ought to kind of duck while passing that parapet, that opening. Nonsense, snapped this particular general. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. A moment later, Sedgwick fell to the ground, fatally wounded. Just like that. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. In Proverbs 29, verse 23, it says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. There's a former heavyweight boxer by the name of James Quick Tillis. He was a cowboy from Oklahoma, and he fought out of Chicago in the early 1980s. He still remembers his first day in the Windy City when he jumped off of his... uh, After he got off the the bus, he says... Actually, I'll I'll let him say it. He says, I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago, and I stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down, and I looked up at the tower, and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. When he looked down, the suitcases were gone, he said. (laughs) You know... A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. You know, we know God hates pride, don't we? We know that. In Proverbs 8, 13, he says, For so the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. The evil way, and the proward mouth do I hate. He hates pride. So it says, Can God hate? Absolutely he hates. He hates pride. We know that for sure. This man in the passage was prideful. He was prideful. When it came time to take a seat at this particular function, he went right to the, the VIP table. Now have me a seat. I'm going to have a seat where the you know the rich sit. I'm going to have a seat where the, the, the big dogs sit. I, I deserve it. I'm just as good as anybody else. The man was prideful. Number two, though, the man in this passage was presumptuous. He was presumptuous. Our passage in the book of Proverbs says, Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. This guy takes it upon himself once again to assume the honorable position. That's prideful, but it was also very presumptuous. Think about how presumptuous he must have been to think himself worthy of such honor and recognition to be honored and recognized obviously is not wrong as we've noted already but the fact that he believed himself worthy of recognition that was wrong that was the problem you would never know anybody maybe even yourself that's ever thought worthy been worthy of recognition would you none of us have ever thought that about ourselves or knew anybody like that right it's natural you don't know why because it's called flesh it's called pride and in many cases presumptuous. In Proverbs 27, 2, the Bible says, Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. We're not to presume greatness. We're not to assume that we deserve to be at the honorable place. We're not to presume that we should have the best seat in the house. We shouldn't always have the right to go to the front. That's not our place. Now, that's not what our culture teaches, and that's not what our society just pours on people. Everybody today has a right to be treated like everybody else, and nobody's second, everybody's first. But you know what? As a believer, we're to be humble. Now, that's not how the world teaches it. it, The world teaches that everybody, oh, you don't have to take a second fiddle, take a second seat to nobody, buster. You fight for your rights. You burn cars, you burn down houses, you tear down college campuses, whatever you want to do. It's all right today. Shoot cops, do whatever you want, because you have a right. I tell you what our rights are as believers: to be humble. That's our right. That's our right. This is ridiculous. The state that we find ourselves in—the state we find ourselves in—is the state this man found himself in, believing himself to deserve honor all the time. You know, there's no shame and working a job, and having a boss. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we start to think we deserve everything, that's called pride, and that's presumptuous. We deserve hell is what we deserve. It's an amazing thing where we find ourselves today. Sometimes we forget who we are and where we come from. We even begin to think ourselves as being indispensable. They couldn't do without me. You know what that is? That's pride, and that's presumptuous. It's right where this man is. It's right where he is. So if we remain humble, we don't have to allow success to change us. And the truth is, we never really change anyway. We're still the same person. You're still that little baby that your mama smacked that diaper stuff on and rolled up your diaper on and you're still that person you might have a little more money now you might have a nicer car you may have a beautiful home but that doesn't make any difference you're still just a human being Amen. Yep. winston churchill once was asked doesn't it doesn't it thrill you to know that every time you make a speech the hall is packed to overflowing it's quite flattering said winston churchill But whenever I feel that way, I always remember that if instead of making a political speech, I was being hanged, the crowd would be twice as big. And you know what? He's right. Winston Churchill drew tremendous crowds. But like he said, he knew all along, kept the right perspective. If I was being hanged, I guarantee you there'd be twice as many here. So really, you know, it's about keeping perspective, isn't it? It's about understanding who we really are. Paul the Apostle was probably one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament. He was probably the most influential man outside of Jesus Christ that Christianity has ever known. And yet he remained humble. Matter of fact, he tells us or shares with us his attitude concerning humility when he says in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, 9, For I am the least of the apostles. Now let me ask you something. Do you consider Paul the least of the apostles? I don't. I, w- I don't. But he says, for I am the least of the apostles. Someone says, well, that was just false humility. That was just fake. It was just He was just putting on. No, he wasn't. I, I believe that was genuine. I don't believe God allowed that in the Bible like that to somehow trick us. Well, you know, you just pretend to be humble and everybody will think you're humble. No, I don't think Paul was pretending. Ephesians 3.80 says, unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Now, not only does he say that I'm the least of the apostles, but he goes on to say, I'm the least of all saints. Now, I don't believe that for a minute. Do you? But yet Paul saw himself as the least of all saints. What he's saying is, I see myself worthy of nothing. If this saint is not worthy of something, I know I'm not because I'm the least of those saints. He goes on in 1 Timothy 1.15 to say, I am chief of sinners. I'm chief of sinners. Oh, do I believe that he was the chief of sinners? No, I don't. Not in comparison to humanity. Not in comparison to Christianity. Maybe in God's eyes, we're all obviously chief of sinners. But the reality is this. When we view one another, let's be honest. We have a tendency to see people on levels. Paul was not chief. At least not from a humanistic standpoint. No way. Paul walked with God. And compared to us, probably, we wouldn't even come close. We couldn't even touch the hem of his garment. On a visit to the Beethoven Museum in Bonn, a young American student became somewhat fascinated by the piano on which Beethoven had composed some of his greatest works. She asked the museum guard if she could just, you know, just, you know, play a few bars on it. But when she asked, she kind of stuck a lavish tip out, you know, a good amount of money. And the guard kind of took the money sheepishly, but he said, okay, all right. So the girl went up to the piano and she tinkled out a little opening of the Moonlight Sonata. And she was leaving and she said to the guard, she said, I suppose all the great pianists who come here want to play on that piano. The guard shook his head and said, Petruski? By the way, he was a very famous Polish pianist. Pederewski was here a few years ago. He said he wasn't worthy to touch it. Isn't that Interesting. See, this man was prideful. He was presumptuous. He believed himself worthy of preeminence. He believed himself worthy of honor. He took his place at the front of the room. He took his place with the VIPs. He took his place up there where the, honored, the guest of honor was the only one that should have been able to say, this is where you sit. No, instead of taking his place where he belonged, instead of taking his place at the back, instead of just being humble and taking a seat, obscure seat in the back, where maybe no one would have known he was even there, possibly. He chose to go up front, but he took a walk of shame because he really wasn't deserving of the place he took. And the Lord is telling us, you need to take that seat of obscurity in the back. You need to be willing just to settle for this seat back here in the rear because that's who and what you really are. And then if for some reason the man of the house, the woman of the house, or the person that invited you says, won't you come with me, I want you to sit up front with me, then you'll be honored and worshipped, he says, before all. But let another man praise thee. Finally, the man in the passage not only was prideful and presumptuous, but when it's all said and done, he's pretty pathetic. Again, he'd taken his place at the front, presumed his right to be in the place of honor. The passage goes on to describe his end, though. Again, the prince approaches him, with another person, mind you, and says, well, guess what? Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. The consequences of pride and the the counterpart presumption always lead to humiliation. They always lead to humiliation. We live in such a self-society Everything's about self. I mean, it, it's, it's almost, it, gets, it does get pretty disgusting at times when you watch players on team sports that have to celebrate without their team. Now, listen, I don't have a problem celebrating. Score a touchdown, hit a home run, shoot the final basket. But I'd like to think you'd want to share that moment with your teammates. I, I, I would think that because it took everyone to get there, we're going to celebrate as a team. But it seems to me today we're breeding a culture of people that want all the preeminence, all the honor, that want to get their due dessert and reward. There's something wrong with that. That is not scriptural and that's not biblical. Now listen, you, 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 you know, you can have your own view of this, but biblically we are not to take that place. We're to be humble The Bible says, Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain in Proverbs twenty five fourteen. You know, I've been embarrassed a number of times for those who have boasted false gifts. You ever been embarrassed for people like that? I have. I don't know if they're embarrassed at times. I wonder sometimes. But it's not uncommon for folks to boast of being good singers. Or amazing athletes. Or successful students. Or savvy administrators. Or prolific writers. Or talented artists. And they like to tell you how great they are. And yet, they're nothing of the sort. I cannot tell you how many times I've been embarrassed for people who thought they had these tremendous gifts. We need to get a fresh look at ourselves. We need to see ourselves the way God does. We need to be very careful that we don't believe the lies of our mothers. You're the most handsome boy in the world. Trust me, you probably aren't. You get what I'm saying? And again, can can I just tell you the truth? Be careful you don't lie to your children. You don't need to lie to your kids. I mean, a mom that says, you're the sweetest thing on earth to me. She means that with all her heart. But you got to be careful you don't lie to your kids. And you are the best. Put whatever you want on the end of that. That I've ever seen. Maybe it's true. And if that's true, fine. But they better not think that it's the best everybody's seen. I heard a guy talking the other day, just today, about a player on the Miami, uh, on not, not a pro team, but a college team, about how good he was in basketball. He said, I've been watching the Mac for 10 years. He's the best player I've ever seen. I thought 10 years is nothing. Well, then we can go back to these players, he said. I'm thinking, you haven't seen history, though. He might be a great player, but that doesn't mean he's the best just because you say he's the best. I'm just saying, we've got to be careful that we don't lose perspective. Probably if you talk to that young man, he'd be like, hey, I just do my job out here. Well, I hope that's how he feels, because that's the way he ought to feel. And if that guy says he's the best he's ever seen, then guess what? I took notice today just because he said it. That doesn't mean it's true yet. But boy, he honored him. At least that boy wasn't the one going, I'm the greatest. You know the Muhammad Ali series, uh, you know thing. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Float like a butterfly, I sting like a bee. You know, that kind of stuff is the beginning. It seemed like it was the kind of the beginning of that stuff with athletes to me. I have a problem with it sometimes. Now, if you're going to jump into the kettle in a Dallas Cowboys game, the Salvation Army kettle, and make millions for the Salvation Army so they can feed people, I don't know if I have a problem with that. If you're going to jump in the stands at Lambeau Field, I'm okay with that, I guess, because that's what they all do. But boy, we need to celebrate as a team. We need to take our rightful places. This man ended up at the back, humiliated. A woman, and I'm closing here, so we'll get done here in just a moment. A young woman asked for an appointment with her pastor to talk with him about a, a besetting sin that, was, that bothered her in her life. <clears throat> when she saw him, she said, Pastor, I became aware of a sin in my life, which, honestly, I just can't control Every time I'm at the church, I begin to look around at the other women. And I realize that I'm the prettiest one in the whole congregation. None of the others can compare with my beauty. What can I do about this sin? The pastor said, well, Mary, that's not a sin. Why, that's just a mistake. <laughs> you know... I I mean, what do we do with this thing? I mean, let's be honest—if we're not care, you know, we can pretend to not be prideful. You know, we can ask, tell ourselves that we never have those tendencies, or those—you know—that we're never really about self ever. It's always, but you know what? Really, in our flesh, we know that there is a part of us that yearns to be lifted up, and that's something we have to die to on a regular basis. Just because somebody is lifted up, though, doesn't mean that they're seeking pride that they're prideful. Some of the greatest preachers I know that, that, that I have come in contact with through the years, I mean the greatest, the ones that are the best speakers, the ones that have the biggest churches, the ones, I'm amazed at how humble the majority of them are, if not almost everyone I've ever met. You know, everybody will accuse them of being, you know, oh, they were, they're glory seekers. They always want to be out front. They're, they're the humblest people you ever met in your life. You take Sam Davison. Humble, humble servant of God. I remember, you know, here he is, got a church of well over a 1,000, maybe 1,500, going on 2,000 at one point, preaching around the country every other, every week out somewhere. I mean, everybody knows him. He's on the platform of the sword of the Lord. He's doing all these things, preaching huge conferences, has a huge school. Man, God's blessing him and his ministry. And Sherry and I roll into the sword of the Lord one year, and we sneak on upstairs because I don't know what happened or somehow we got held up in the traffic going into it or something. We go up into the balcony and he's up on stage getting ready to preach. And we have a seat up there in the balcony uh, in front of the uh, sound booth. And Davidson says, I was like, that's a humble man. I guarantee you to acknowledge me. In a service like that, I mean, two, 3,000 people sitting in that building, and he recognized me. You think that that's a prideful area. He wouldn't want to be associated with me. I'm a nobody. Yeah, that's right. Humble men. That's right. And let me tell you something. That's the attitude we ought to have. Yep, we ought to have that spirit and that attitude. And so if we're going to have it, we've got to be patient. Jesus said in first Peter 5: six, "Humble yourselves therefore, under the mighty hand of God." That he may exalt you in due time. You stay to the course. You just stick to it. You obey God. You just please the Lord. And God will put you and elevate you in time. You just got to let God have control of that thing. Don't push your way into the front. Let God take you there. Be patient. Be patient. And then finally, we need to learn to be content, don't we? That's probably the hardest lesson. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, the Apostle Paul said. Have you learned to be content in whatsoever state you're in? That's a tough one, isn't it? Anybody that says that that's not a biggie is probably not being very honest with themselves. Because let's face it, we'd all like things to be a little bit different at times. We'd all like things to be a little bit better. But the Bible says that we need to learn to be content in whatsoever state we are. Some of you have gone through some real difficult times in your life physically and Maybe emotionally. Maybe you've experienced tragedy in your life, and let's face it, you don't you would never wish that on anyone, but God's permitted it in your life, and there's times it's hard to be content. It's hard. But we have to learn to be content. It's it's a it's a it's a learning step in our life. I just want to be careful. This young man or this middle aged man or this elderly man, I don't know, it doesn't really say how old he was. But he found himself at the front taking a walk of shame because he felt himself worthy of a position or a place that he did not deserve. That was called pride, and that was presumption, and those two things lead to humiliation.